guys. I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, man, I've known Kelly for years, and you guys are in good hands. Kelly and Michelle are killer. They're killer. They're just awesome people to be around. Uh, they're the type of people that, like, I haven't seen Kelly in, like, months, but every time I bump into him, it's like, we, you know, we didn't skip a beat. It's like he's, he's always there. He's always, uh, he's the same dude. And, uh, but not only that, but he loves people, and he loves this ministry, man. I know that. I know that for a fact. And he wants to see this ministry not only grow, but he'll see your guys' faith grow. Um, so the dude's awesome. You guys are in good, good hands, and I'm, I'm glad to be with you guys today. I drove up from Orange County. Uh, it was a long drive, but it's good. It's good. Um, so today, today, I get it. Like right now, it's kind of like the blind date period. You know what I'm saying? Like you're on a blind date and you got like four minutes before you're like, swipe right. You know, like I'm done with this guy. I think it's swipe right. So uh, I think hopefully over past like in four minutes, you'll hopefully like thumbs up. But if your thumbs down, then, then maybe just text in some questions to Kelly. Like, is that a mustache or like an eyebrow on his upper lip? Like, I'm not sure. But... <laughs> Um, so anyway, I got a picture of my family. Uh, here's a picture of them. That's me, uh, my wife of seven years now, and my son. We adopted my son uh, four years ago now. He's a good dude. What you don't see in this picture is my wife now is like she's got a bowling ball in her belly because we're expecting our second kid in January. It's the cutest. It's the cutest. It's the best. But here's, here's the backstory. All right? This is kind of weird, I'll admit. All right, a little moment of honesty. My wife and I, I grew up in Wyoming. You guys been there? Nobody. One person been to Wyoming. Two pe- okay, cool. So people have been there. People from Wyoming exist, okay? But I was from a very small, uh, small town. This is crazy. Uh, you won't even believe it. But my wife and I are in, my, in the town. They uh, believe in arranged marriages. So I was 15. Very crazy. I was 15 when my wife... I'm just kidding. That is totally fake. I saw... She's over here like, cut the camera. No. Um, no, uh, I, uh, I did grow up in Wyoming. I did meet my wife when you were in high school. Totally normal. Not a weird thing. Uh, and uh, I was glad to, to marry her and have, have some... Have, um, I'm, I'm having her kids now, so what's up? You know. Um, anyway, so tonight, tonight uh, it's going to be a good message, man. It's going to be relevant. I think that you guys hopefully will leave change, will leave with a greater understanding of who this Jesus is that we serve. And if you're new and if, if it's like your first time, you're curious about Jesus, I just hope that you're curious enough to lean in. To imagine what it could be like to follow Jesus in your life, just at least for the next 30 or so minutes, if I can uh, hopefully cut it down to 30 minutes, okay? I'll be all over the Bible. You guys, if you have your, your Bibles with you, be ready to get your flip, flipping fingers. Not your flipping fingers. You get, you get what I'm saying. All right, let's keep our flipping fingers in, okay? You get what I'm saying. Okay, uh, so tonight I, I have titled my message, uh, my message, Jesus for President. Jesus for President. So... Uh, turn to your neighbor real quick and say, I voted for Jesus. All right. Just kidding. You probably didn't vote for Jesus. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him who you really voted for. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, don't do that. Let's not do that. (laughs) But today, uh, now, uh, (laughs) right. I'm going to be talking about this idea of who Jesus is. Really, ultimately, who Jesus is. Now, one thing I know about uh, myself that you all can tell, I'm the most cliche white guy you'll ever meet. I mean, you, you all can tell. I already said, like, you do like, dude's white, and he's talking, like, uh, most cliche white guy you'll ever meet. I'm a white dude. I come from a certain context, and here I am talking about Jesus for president. So this, what, this message today isn't going to be about who you should have voted for. 
It's not going to be about policy. I, I, I'm not the right guy to talk about that sort of stuff. It's not going to be who you should or shouldn't have voted for. But this message today is about who to live for and what that looks like in your life. So how exactly can we do that is the question. And uh, believe it or not, Jesus was actually more political than you'd ever think. But not at all like you'd think. That Jesus actually came into the world and was pushing a political agenda. That he had something in mind to go up against the, po- the political parties of his time. Now, the political parties of his time didn't look anything like ours today. There was no Republican and Democrat and Green Party. There was not that. But there was a specific political party that was reigning at the time that Jesus entered into the world. And he began to speak to. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us Average Joes, college students living in the 21st century. How exactly do I lean into this Jesus that doesn't live in our time today, but spoke to the political agendas of his time? What's that look like? So if you wouldn't, let's pray together and we'll jump in to this message. Jesus, uh, look at your family. You love them. And Jesus, I pray today for people who came here that are looking for hope. You give them hope. For mercy, you give them mercy. For grace, you give them grace. That they leave this space with a greater understanding of who you are. Jesus, we love you, and I pray uh, that the Broncos can come back from their loss from today, and next week they can beat the Patriots. Everybody said! Amen! Uh, One guy. One guy. Everyone else like, ah. We're certainly not Rams fans today. They got stomped, so go Broncos. No. (laughs) So what I know about us, what I know about humanity, what I know about you, I don't even know you, but what I know about you and me, is we have expectations about everything. Expectations about everything in our world. Now, when I got married, I had certain expectations about who would do the dishes. And I didn't even think that I had expectations about the, the, the dishes. Now, if you're like me, the dishes are from Satan, and he made them himself. You know, it's like, I hate the, the stinking dishes. I'd rather eat on, like, a paper plate, you know, like, for the rest of my life, and, like, you know, push the dishes under the counter. Like, I don't know. Like, I hate, this, I hate the dishes. My wife, so what I do is I do the dishes after every meal. That's like how I do it. This is like I don't like, a, a kitchen is made to be clean. That's how I see it, okay? So I do my dishes after every meal. My wife, on the other hand, she came from a single family home, six kids, one, one mom kind of took care of her. So could they ever do the dishes? No. So my wife and I get married, and we're, like I do the dishes after every meal, and I look at her like, are you not going to do the dishes? Like what's going on? Her family was like dishes out of the kitchen, like dog would be licking it clean. They're like, let's make some ramen noodles. They'd be like, let's just get this one, like put it up. Like, who cares? Let's just make the next, like we don't need to clean the dishes. And we have, I had expectations about that. And ultimately, my wife and I got in some arguments over the dishes. But we have expectations about everything. Again, when I got married, I had these, uh, what I call sex expectations. hey Right? <laughs> So I'm a dude, like, hopefully you guys can tell that, but I had expectations that, like, like this is college students, right, that we'd be begging it out four times a day, you know what I'm saying? Just kidding. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. My wife, on the other hand, like, sex was, like, something you don't talk about, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, she's not about, like, her family was, like, sex is of the devil type of thing. It's like, my, mine was here, pendulum swung, you know what I'm saying? So it's like... We had expectations about what that looked like. Again, caused friction. It, it, it never lived up to this ultimate time that I, uh, I told my wife my expectations about a birthday party. 
And, and she's like, hey, baby, you know, first birthday of yours, what can we do for your birthday? And I was like, you know, I'm not much of a surprise party dude, okay? Like, I was just low-key, something easy. That's about all I said. Uh, so my whole birthday day goes by. You know, people text me happy birthday. My wife hasn't said anything. So I told her I like it low-key. But I still had expectations like she'd celebrate me or something, <laughs> right? She walks upstairs at our first house and hands me an envelope that had 50 bucks in it that said Alex on the front. She goes, happy birthday. And I was like, thanks, babe. Like, really? Right? Expectations. Expectations rule our world. Expectations change the way we think about things. Expectations are strong beliefs that something will happen or be the case in the future. And we have this for everything. You guys have expectations about your, what your evening's going to be. Like, you guys had expectations when you saw my little white head on an Instagram picture, what I'd be talking about today, right? <laughs> expectations. You guys have expectations about the new Star Wars movie, right? Expectations about everything. And they ultimately change the way we think. Now, this is not a new term. Because we have expectations about everything, we have expectations about our kings, or should I say presidents, about people who rule over us, expectations that they should be living up to a specific standard. Even if you don't voice them, you have them in your mind. Now, look what it says in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, This is not a a foreign concept. Book book of 1 Samuel uh, 13, 13 says, Samuel said to Saul, You have been foolish. You have not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Just verses earlier, all of Saul's soldiers abandoned him because he wasn't living up to the expectations people had for him. He, he, he just wasn't doing it. We have expectations that people, rulers over us, kings, right, that they need to protect us, they need to do what is right, that they need to be listening to God, they need to hopefully make the best choice, that they need to meet my needs, they need to lead well, solve your problems. They need to come on a white horse like Gandalf did in Lord of the Rings to come save his people. That We have expectations that they need to meet our needs. What happens is we begin to place the same expectations we have on human kings on God. But God might have a completely different thing in store. Check this out. Uh, Book of of Luke, this is what it says. It's Christmas time. i got to talk about the Christmas story. Book of Luke, Jesus comes into the world. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Christmas, right? It's this time. It's, we got the trees. It's the time that Jesus came into the world. And he be, the people began to look at him and say, he's king. And people began to place expectations on this king. But Jesus entered into the world, like I said, in a very politically charged time. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's this guy named Caesar Augustus. He's ruling in the, in the Roman Empire. Rome was a powerhouse of the time. Rome would literally come into other cities and come and kill all the men and ultimately take over the city. Rome had little pockets everywhere that was ruled by Rome in different cities. Rome was a powerhouse led by this guy named Caesar Augustus. Caesar then had a son. His name was Caesar Tiberius. This was a coin of the time. This is a real picture of a coin. This is Caesar uh, Tiberius. And uh, the inscription on the, on the ed, if you can see it, uh, this is what it means. Son Caesar Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, in Greek, there on the outside. 
This is the coin. This is the money that people were handing out of the time that Jesus was born. It said, Hail Caesar, right? Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Augustus, king of the Roman Empire world. King of this powerhouse, right? Uh, There's a statue that they would place. Uh, This is a picture of a statue that they'd place. This is Caesar Augustus. And uh, people actually believe that he was divine, like that coin said. Caesar Augustus, uh, he was divine. He was God. There was this thing called Pax Romana of the time that Jesus entered into the world. Pax Romana ultimately means peace through Rome. This Caesar Augustus, this statue right here, see that little baby down in the end? That is there to represent humanity, right? That suddenly there's Caesar Augustus. He's divine. He's this man who's supposed to bring peace. And there's this little baby down there representing all of us that when Caesar came in and he, they ruled over another city, they'd place a statue much like this in the middle of the city to represent that Caesar is king, that Caesar brings peace. And the rest of us, man, if we could just touch his robe, right? Then suddenly Jesus enters in the picture. And the angels start declaring this like peace on earth type of stuff, this glory to God because peace is here. Peace comes in the place and this child and it's like, this doesn't make sense. There was an obvious fork in the road. Who do I believe actually brings peace, right? Is it Jesus or is it Caesar Augustus? Who's the peace bringer? Who actually holds the power of peace? Now, peace is something we all want and long for. The question that I think we face today is, do we believe Jesus is the bringer of peace? Caesar brought peace a completely different way. He brought it through oppression. He brought it through, you listen to me, you do what I want. If you don't, I'll kill you. And if you do what I want, do what I say, there's peace. And then Jesus comes in and he does something completely different. Check out this story, one that we all know and love. Uh, This is Jesus. It says, he left in the book of Matthew, Matthew 14. He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. This is Jesus. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus starts this political sort of movement up against this Caesar Augustus guy, and he says he left on a boat to a remote place. There's supposed to be nobody there, but crowds followed him. How many of you guys like people following you where you go, right? Not me. Right? So Jesus had these paparazzi, these people following him, and he said he has compassion on them, and he began to heal their sick. Next slide, Matthew 14, 15 through 17. This is what it says. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread. And two fish, they answered. So they're at this remote place. Maybe a place that you might think like your home. A place where you can be alone. A place that's supposed to be remote. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, we got this crowd of people. There's 5,000 plus. And um, Jesus, they're getting hungry. They're getting irritated, agitated. They're hangry. You, you guys know? Let's all point to the hangriest person in the room really quick. Just kidding, don't do that. Um, they're hangry. And Jesus says, why don't you feed them? And they go, well, this is all we have, actually. Um, We have five loaves of bread. I got 100% whole wheat from Ralph's. I'm much more of a Trader Joe's guy. So there's 5,000 people. And they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, I got 
we, this is all we got. I mean, I don't know, at best there's like, I don't know, 20 slices of bread, right? And uh, I don't even know if this is enough to feed us. This is what they have. Five loaves of bread. I got the nice stuff because I'm going to take it home and eat it. <laughs> um, and then uh, some fish. I got the salmon. Again, I'm <laughs> planning on taking that home and eating that a little bit later. Got some. And I got the, uh, the nice stuff, the smoked salmon. It's already pre-cut. Holla. Um, yeah, pre-cut. So even imagine with us. If you guys are like, hey, you've been following me all day. You're following some dude around. And you're like, we're hungry because we haven't eaten once in 24 hours. And trust me, when you guys get hungry, my wife, when she gets hungry, it's like she's a different woman. <laughs> she's not here. I can say that. But I love you, babe. Um, and you're like, I want some food. And it's like, well, this is all we got. And Jesus says, feed the people. I'd be like, <laughs> Good one, Jay, you know, but like, I, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not, are you, I'm not, Jesus, maybe you're not really the guy you once thought people said you were. Like, I'm not going to, this isn't it. And check out the next verse in Matthew 14. It says, um, verse 22, I believe, verse 18, sorry, bring them here, he says. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who uh, dis- distributed them, distributed them, <laughs> distributed it. I, I do ministry, not English. Uh, distributed it to the people. Next slide. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. You guys heard the story of the feeding the 5,000? It's more like feeding of the 15,000. Because there's 5,000 men who were fed that day, but there's another 5,000 women and potentially 5,000 kids in the audience. And Jesus looked at them and said, hey, they're hungry. Let's feed them. They need some food to eat. We should probably do something about it. And he does a miracle. Now, this is shocking. When I read the scripture, I look at this and I go, this is crazy. It's almost too good to believe, right? This is a story that I heard when I was like eight years old. And back then I was still kind of like, that's too good to believe. Like, I can't actually believe that. That's so much food. But it happened. But what is more shocking to me is the very next verse, potentially one that we look past when we read this. Look what it says in Matthew 14, 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the, to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Now, what's crazy to me is Jesus just did this miraculous thing. He just fed 15,000 people, like no problem, snapped his fingers. This, this food fed all of those people. He had a political movement bigger than any stadium could fill, obviously, at the time. He had people following him. He could have marched into Rome, started an army, taken over all the Roman cities, and been done with it. Good to go. But for some reason, he says, you guys have been fed. Leave. It's time to go back home. 
It's time to, to stop following me. I need to go be alone finally. And it's time to leave. Because I think what people didn't understand is what Jesus was actually getting at. John uh, 6.35 says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Now, is Jesus saying, I'm going to feed you all the time, and when you're hungry, I'm going to give you bread to eat? Or were they missing something much deeper? See, I think for us, we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm hungry. Jesus, I, I, I want my girlfriend to like me. Jesus, I want to go to this college, right? I want to get straight A's. We have these felt needs, these needs ultimately that politicians are there to answer for us. But what Jesus actually cares about is your real need, that real need potentially you have of loneliness, that real need in your heart that you don't want to tell anybody about, but man, you're angry at your parents, right? That real need that politicians can't answer. And Jesus just fed 5,000 people. And if I was there, I'd be stoked. But Jesus isn't just interested in giving you bread. Jesus isn't interested in just giving you a bunch of fish. But Jesus cares about your heart. Jesus cares about something different. Politicians care about your felt needs. Jesus cares about your real needs. And ultimately, human kings, candidates, and officials are merely images of who we are as people. Jesus is is the image of who we can be. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where lots of people are hungry. But we also live in a world where if Jesus ran for president, people wouldn't vote for him. And Jesus wouldn't even want to be voted in as president because he cares not about winning the presidency. He cares about winning your heart. It's a different concepts. And ultimately, when we have these expectations we put on God, expectations that potentially are unmet because Jesus has a bigger picture in mind, because Jesus knows what's actually going on in your life, Jesus knows your real need, we start to have disbelief. Because this is how it works. When our expectations are unmet, we are discouraged. When we're discouraged, ultimately it leads to disbelief. That's how it is with my wife and I. It's like when I'm talking to my wife and it's like I have these expectations about the dishes then the dishes months go by and suddenly I just explode one day because the dishes aren't done. And ultimately we look at God and we have these expectations. God, meet these expectations, but God is a bird's eye view of what actually you need in your life. That maybe bread doesn't fulfill, but Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. This Christmas, you guys might be sitting at the table for the first time with that person who's at the table that's been there every year, but this year they're not. Potentially, your parents might be going through a divorce, or maybe they had gone through a divorce, or you're going to be going between split homes, or you're going to, you went through a breakup this year, or potentially you had a friend in your life that's no longer your friend. It's not sitting next to you. It doesn't have your back like they once did. Is it probable? Could it be that Jesus wants to fill a hole in your heart that people can't fill, that bread can't fill. Jesus fed 5,000 people not to give them food, but to win their heart, right? Now, I remember when I, uh, I went to college at Azusa Pacific University. It's awesome, great education, but I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go to this college in Reading called um, Simpson University. Now, I felt called to go into, in, into ministry when I was 16 years old. 
Now, uh, I pursued that with my life. That's everything I did was I didn't go to Bible college. But I, I had this girl in my life who's now my wife. And she, I said, babe, I, I want to go to uh, a Simpson University. And she said, uh, no. And I said, uh, yes. <laughs> right? That never works, okay? So anyone in a relationship, listening years, okay? So I wanted to go to Reading, and uh, my wife talked me out of it. I was hurt. I don't know if you guys remember your high school selves, but if you had a college in mind, maybe a scholarship in mind, maybe you had a sports thing lined up, you had a whole plan for your life, what it was going to look like, what you were going to do. But suddenly, things didn't work out. But I think to myself, what if I had gone to that college? I probably wouldn't have gotten married to my wife. I probably wouldn't have adopted my son. I probably wouldn't be a pastor at Mariner's Church. I'd probably be standing in front of Soma Ministry right now. I probably wouldn't have been able to, to meet the people I've met, and God wouldn't have changed my heart the way he did if I would have went there. See, we have these plans We have these ideas for what our life is going to be like. What's the hardest thing to do is trust Jesus in it. To say, Jesus, you know what's going on. You know what I actually need. I'm going to tell you what I need, and I'm going to pray, and this, I'm going to pray for like a new car, but what if you want to give me a plane, right? Like, how do you want, like, what? Just, uh, I just want to trust you with my life. I just want to, God, take me where you want me to go. Because Jesus actually knows what you actually need. Some people in this room, you've never voiced what you actually need. You've never told somebody what you actually want, what that hole in your heart actually is. The truth, oftentimes, is the hardest thing to handle. Jesus, after he was born in a manger, lived a whole life, and he fed 5,000, and he, he healed the sick, and he ultimately went to a cross. And right before he died on a cross, look what it says, John 18, 37. I'm going to invite the band up as well. Pilate said, so you are king? Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. The question I think we all want answered desperately in our life. Man, if I just knew the truth. Man, if I just, if I didn't have to wait in line. If I could go to like Disneyland if it, and they tell you how long you have to wait in a line. Like, Jesus, can I just have those signs in my life? Can you just tell me which way to go? But Jesus says, ultimately what I want for you is just to trust me. To just open-handedly step out and say, okay. And it may not be what I want. It may not be that college. It may not be that degree. It may not be the big dreams and plans I had for my life. But Jesus, don't you know what's best for me? So I'm just going to trust you. And I don't know what exactly it looks like, but I just want to trust what you have for me. I'll tell you, the other day I was... On my, uh, I haven't been sleeping very well. I'm getting real. I'm getting real with you guys right now, okay? But I trust you guys. I love you. Maybe it's because I love Kelly. But I'm getting real with you guys right now. I haven't been sleeping very well. Maybe I'm a new kid, and new job. I don't know all sorts of stuff. But the other day, I was just I couldn't sleep, so I walked into my living room and I just laid on my bedroom, my living room floor, and I'm like in my skivvies. Is that the right word? I don't think that's the word. I'm in my pajamas. And I'm 
on my floor and it's pitch black and it's cold because it's wintertime. And I'm just going, God, I don't, what, do you, what do you want? I'm struggling to trust you right now. I'm struggling to know what you want from me. But God, I'm just saying, here, take it. Do what, do what you will with it. How often do you do that? God, just, just whatever you want, you can do. Man, if we just knew the truth, if we just knew the truth, and ultimately it's because of this truth that sent Jesus to the cross that died for our sins. Pilate, the Roman Empire, was unwilling to accept the truth that Jesus entered into the world and brought. So what do we do? We just say, Jesus, I want to trust you. Jesus, I want to trust you. The truth is the hardest thing to handle. I know many times there's people that I've met that say, man, I prayed that Jesus, I'd marry this girl, but now it's 10 years later. That girl's a hot mess. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't marry that person, right? But man, in the moment, we feel, we treat, we have these expectations of Jesus, but Jesus knows what you really need. It all gets summed up in this quote that I found uh, from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, somebody of our time, a, a great theologian. And this is what he writes in the Chronicles of Narnia, a book that I'm going to read to my son. Aslan, who represents Jesus, this is what it says. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. But he's good. This makes me emotional because if, if God is good, that means he knows what's best for you. It means it's not safe. It means it's hard. It means you may not have all the answers all the time, but he's good. And he knows you. And he loves you. Are you willing to just give him your heart? Jesus for president means trusting that Jesus knows you enough to take you in the right direction. And that direction may not be safe. It might be a hard one. But are you willing to just trust? Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you guys to be bold just for a moment. If it's awkward, maybe uh, I'm just a, a new dude up here. But I'm going to ask that if you're here tonight and you're struggling to trust Jesus, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your afternoon's going to be like. I don't know what your tomorrow or your Wednesday or your next Friday night's going to look like. But if you're struggling to trust Jesus in a moment of vulnerability, would you stand? next to one of these people, would you put your hand on them just to say I'm with you? You're not alone in this. If you're next to somebody else who's standing, hold them. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are a good father. 
You're a good, good father. And God, I pray for these people that are struggling to trust you, Jesus, that when they leave this place, your Holy Spirit will help them trust you. And Jesus, whatever it looks like in their life, whatever fear is in their life, wherever they're struggling or um, trials or temptation or whatever that looks like for them, Jesus, will you touch their heart right now? That will they leave this space and know that you're with them? Tomorrow morning, will they know that you embrace them? And even in moments when they feel lost or broken or that trust is wavering, Jesus, you will come into their heart. God, because you are good is a good enough reason to trust you. So Jesus, we love you. Be with them who stood. And for the rest of us, can we leave this space with a greater understanding of who you are? that you love us. We pray this in your name. Amen.